0: Time has changed. How many of you are refugees from 9.30 service? You'd normally go to 9.30. Be honest, it's okay. Be honest, but you're here today. Okay, a few of you, all right, not bad, not bad. That's okay, it's allowed. Grace-based church. Um, but I do have some uh, hints, some tips and tricks on the, the managing this time change. Uh, this might be the last time we do a time change from what I understand. It's working through the government, we'll see. I'm sure they'll find a way to fight about it and, and not get that done. But here's a, a tips and trick, tricks. We like to be very practical around here. So first of all, um, when it comes to the time change, you may know, don't touch your phone, it takes care of itself, automatic. So thank you, uh, Apple, for that um, wonderful advantage. For your appliances, uh, you are going to have to hire a master's degree uh, electrical engineer to go over to your house and to change the time on your appliances. We have several waiting for you outside. It's a service we provide uh, to change your appliances. Uh, To change your vehicle clocks, we're just gonna say, don't bother, in six months it'll all be fine again. Uh, So just don't even bother, it's not worth it. So just some help on managing the the time change. But like I said, if all goes well, this may be the last time we do that. Um, All right, we are in the last week of the Jesus Gets Us series. And we are uh, watching videos that come from the He Gets Us campaign that has spent at least $100 million on producing these videos and then um, having them broadcast all over primarily sporting events and hoping to create a conversation about Jesus. Who was Jesus? Who is he to us? And the basic theme is that that he gets us. Uh, Here is the fullness of divinity and the fullness of humanity going through life the way we go through life with all of its struggles and, and all of its hardships And with all of his confrontations, Jesus went through it all. So today we're gonna talk about Jesus gathers us. He gathers us. Because Jesus is not just a one-man operation. He happens, as Evan said earlier, to be the light of the world. But then he says, hey, let's gather together and all of us together can be the light of the world. Jesus looks at us and he says, I'm gonna equip you to be the light of the world. I'm gonna equip you to to shine the goodness and grace and love of God into the dark places of this world and make this world a better place, so much so that Jesus says this world can actually become the kingdom of heaven. I mean, it's quite, quite an audacious vision that Jesus had, and for 2,000 years, we've been struggling. What does that mean, what does that look like, and how can I be a part of bringing light to the dark world? And so Jesus gathers us. And that gathering is a gathering of rebels. We're going to talk today about Jesus being a rebel and gathering a team of rebels to bring light into the world. Let's take a look.
1: A rebel took to the streets. He recruited others to join him. They roamed the hood and challenged authority. Community leaders feared them. Religious leaders abhorred them. We have to get them off the streets, they said. But they weren't part of a gang spreading hate and terror. They were spreading love.
0: All right, so Jesus the rebel. Have you ever heard of Jesus described as a rebel? It might be a little jarring uh, because we might have some images of Jesus that may not seem rebellious in our imagination. But we've gotta ask the question, was Jesus really a rebel? And did he really gather a rebellious crew? Because if Jesus gathered a rebellious crew back then, well, guess what, this crew is. This is a rebellious crew as well. And so we've gotta ask this question, was he really a rebel? Was he actively and strongly confronting people in public? And then if he gathered a group around him to continue that work, that's the church, that's us, maybe we've gotta consider ourselves to be a bit of a rebellious crew. Now, when we talk about Jesus being a rebel, that might, push against some of the images we have of Jesus. I I thought about showing a few, but it wouldn't do any good and they're kind of disturbing. About Jesus being soft, right? A lot of times the images of Jesus, the paintings of Jesus have this really soft face and this really kind of look about him that's just not real tough. Now, just to be clear, being soft is, is a good thing. Right time, right place, being soft is a good thing. It's not a good thing on the athletic field. It's not a good thing when you're confronting injustice, but there's a time and a place to be soft. And at the right time, in the right places, Jesus was soft. He was tender to people, who needed tenderness. He was a fantastic listener, people who were sharing their needs with him. He cared deeply for people. He served people. Jesus himself was vulnerable. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, read those Gospels. There's many, many times He's vulnerable. He's sharing listen, I'm afraid here help me. I'm lonely here. Be alongside of me. Before he was going to the cross, I mean, he was so anxious. He was sweating drops of blood. So Jesus was very vulnerable and at times appropriately very soft. That's great. But that's not all Jesus was. Jesus was also a rebel. He was a strong, confrontational, and rebellious outlaw. Have you heard of Jesus described as an outlaw? He absolutely was an outlaw. I mean, to the technical definition, he was an outlaw. Here's the definition. One who broke the law and remains at large. Jesus was an outlaw. Let me detail this for you. We'll have some fun here. Jesus was accused many, many times of breaking the law of Israel. The law of Israel was based on the Old Testament laws. So if you have your Bible, you read your Old Testament, those are the laws written uh, to the Jewish people to govern them as a civilized society. And so their their government was based on those laws, the Ten Commandments in particular, and then 313 surrounding commandments that governed the Jewish people. Now, there's a lot of technicality in those laws. There's a lot of letter of the law, but there's also the spirit of the law underlining the Old Testament commandments, right? So Jesus was born and raised in the culture of the Old Testament laws, and he was accused of breaking those laws many times. I'll give you just a couple of examples. In Mark chapter seven, verse one, we see the Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now there's a lot behind that. They were after Jesus. They were after him. He amassed a huge crowd. That crowd was leaving the religious leaders to follow Jesus and they're thinking, we've, we've gotta stop this guy, we've gotta find him doing something wrong. So when it says they left Jerusalem to go north to follow Jesus, they were after him. They were specifically looking for things he was going to do wrong. And here's what they found. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. You're supposed to gasp. Stunning. We caught you, Jesus. We traveled from Jerusalem to Galilee. This is, I mean, a massive walk. And they took caravans, and they were following Jesus to try to catch him doing something wrong, and they said, you're not washing your hands correctly. You're washing your hands like this. No, Jewish tradition that comes from the Old Testament is you've gotta wash your hands like this. You've gotta dip them like this and drip them like this, dip and drip, dip and drip, and you're just doing this. It's all wrong, you're breaking the law. I mean, we're laughing because it is absolutely silly to take the letter of the law, which by the way is found in the Old Testament, and then to impose it on people like this. I mean, there's a place for a religious ritual And sometimes it can be beautiful and sometimes very meaningful. But if you impose religious ritual as though you are disobeying the law of God and you must be condemned, it gets absolutely silly, nitpicky. Just imagine Jesus rolling his eyes like you came all the way from Jerusalem to Galilee and that's what you found. Congratulations, right? I mean, time after time they're coming after him because he's threatening their power because he's rebelling against religious culture. And religious culture is a powerful thing because you use the name of God to oppress people. You use the name of God to put guilt on people. You use the name of God to shame people. You use the name of God to say, oh, if you only obeyed what we teach you, then you'll be good with God. If you only do what we tell you to do, then you'll be good with God. If you believe the way we tell you to believe, then you'll be good with God. It holds amazing power not just 2,000 years ago in ancient civilization, but right now, it still holds religious power. So Jesus wasn't having it. He rebelled against religious culture. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Wow, he is not having it. He is, in a very strong way, rebelling against the religious authorities. Now, you might think, well, what's the big deal? They're just religious people. They run the place. They have armies. It is the religious armies that arrested Jesus initially to be crucified. So Jesus is rebelling not just against Pastor Jim Bob. He's rebelling against the authority of the entire culture with armies. So this is very, very strong. Nothing against Pastor Jim Bob. That sounded uh, condescending toward him. But he's pushing against the religious authorities of the time, and it's costing him. It is costing him. Goes on to say this. So you cancel the word of God in order to hound down your own tradition, and this is only one example among many others. Jesus is saying, your religious culture is a cancel culture. You're canceling the word of God. And he gives them an example. He says, listen, you're so you know all up in arms about obeying the word of God, the commands of God. He says, well, one of the commandments is that you honor your mother and father, And You might do that to the letter of the law, but Jesus says, I know that you are neglecting your older parents and just calls it out. He's rebelling against his culture and calling out their hypocrisy because there's nothing more hypocritical than a religious culture because they claim to obey the letter of the law, yet they violate the spirit of the law time and time and time again. Jesus says, I have a whole arsenal of examples. I'll spare you. You're so interested in the letter of the law, you forget the spirit of the law, and so you mistreat people. I'm gonna give you a a theorem. I'm calling this a theorem. This is the the Scott Treadway theorem, and you can take it or leave it, right? The more religious leaders insist they are elevating the word of God, the more dehumanizing they become. I'm gonna read that again. The more religious leaders insist they are elevating the word of God, the more dehumanizing they become. That was true of the Pharisees at the time of Christ. We have the word of God. We have the commandments of God. And we lift up the word of God and we lift up the commandments of God. And so they use that to say, and so we're gonna nitpick you. We're gonna, we're gonna judge you for how you wash your hands. We're gonna talk about the letter of the law to honor mother and father, but you know privately we're gonna n- neglect our own parents when they're elderly. We're gonna talk about the letter of the law, but we're not gonna be kind to others. We're gonna judge others. We're gonna call out other people's sin. When God gave the word for our benefit, it's religious leaders often who use the word of God as a weapon against people to manipulate them. Now listen, that's not always intentional. Uh, A lot of people who elevate the Word of God, we preach the Word of God, we believe the Word of God, it's the Word of God, Word of God, Word of God. The more people insist on elevating the letter of the Word of God, the less humanitarian they generally are. Because the more you focused on the letter and the technicalities, the less you focus on human beings. And Jesus was saying, hey, listen, guys, time out. You're using the Word of God to oppress people. And you use guilt and shame and threats of condemnation and God's gonna get you and destroy your life and not answer your prayers or condemn you forever if you don't follow what we say about the word of God. And Jesus says, stop it, stop it. We've gotta get back to the heart of God and the heart of God is about people, valuing people, elevating people, loving people, especially people who are in need. And So Jesus says, when you elevate the word of God but miss the heart of God, you are canceling the scriptures. You're canceling the scriptures. Pretty tough stuff, pretty rebellious stuff. Jesus also breaks the law in John chapter five, and this one is gnarly. John chapter five is one of my favorite passages. Um, Jesus sets up intentional ways for him to break the law as it is written technically in the scripture. John chapter five. A man lying there had been sick for 38 years. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Great, it's a miracle, right? Well, that miracle happened on a Saturday. You might not have heard me. Happened on a Saturday, the Sabbath day. This is the day of rest. The Bible says you must work for six days and rest on the Sabbath. The day of rest is a Saturday. And so you can just imagine, now this is just my little musings, but I'm pretty sure this happened. Jesus is telling his, his, um, his gathering of rebels, he says, listen, um, there's a guy in that temple who has been, or in that pool, who has been unable to walk for 38 years, I'm gonna heal that guy. And the disciples say, well, f- fantastic, it's a Friday, we can go over there, right, it's a work day, let's go over there, do some work, heal the guy, and oh no, no, it's not gonna be today. Well, when is it going to be, Jesus? Sunday, right? Because that's the next day we can work. Oh, no, it's not going to be Friday. It's not going to be Sunday. It's going to be Saturday. Jesus, you can't do that on a Saturday. Because that means you've got to go over there and work. We're going to follow you and work, because we got some Bible to write later. Um, you're, going to, you're going to make sure this guy is healed. And he's going to stand up, and he's going to walk. On a Saturday, you can't do that. You'll break the law. Jesus says, we're going on Saturday. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. He has been lame for 38 years. And what was their priority? He's walking in this grand miracle. It's a Saturday. That is such a religious thing to do. It's like, you you don't even pay attention to the miracle of this person is walking. I mean, you ought to be hugging this person. You ought to be celebrating you ought to be doing more work carrying this guy in your shoulder. No, letting him walk and run. I mean, this is a party. Oh, no, you broke a religious law. You broke a religious law. Now, for those of you who have been maybe raised in, in hyper-religious environments, this is something that is very familiar to you. It's like, well, here's the things you can do. Here's the things you can't do. Here's the things you could say. Here's the things you can't say. Here's the things to believe. Here's the things you can't believe, right? Here's how to think. Here's. Your, I mean, it's just this like preschool environment of everybody telling everybody exactly what to do and we miss the humanization of it all. Jesus never missed the human moments. And not only did he create this beautiful human moment of this person walking, but he intentionally did it on a Saturday to take his thumb and poke it in the eye of the religious leaders. He was a rebel, he wasn't having it. He was gonna take down the whole culture. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. He not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. Jesus says, listen, I'm just doing what God would do in this situation. I'm the fullness of God, I'm doing what God would do. And I'm healing this man. And I'm healing this man on a Saturday because God has no boundaries on when people should be helped, none whatsoever. He poked his eye in the the face of the religious culture. And he said, this man is free and we're all free. And then Jesus says something that is the worst thing you could say to any religious leader. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. That is gnarly. Now, by the way, in John chapter five, verse 18, they said, we're gonna kill you, Jesus. And he says, I don't care what you say in John chapter five, verse 41. You know what that means? It's one of the longest chapters in the Bible that means after Jesus found out they were gonna kill him, he stood his ground, looked them right in the eye and tore them apart. And he called out their hypocrisy and called out how they burden and oppressed people using the name of God. And he says, by the way, at the very end, I don't care what you say because the love of God isn't in you. Now we might think, well, that's Jesus being uh, a meanie. Well, he's being mean, there's no way around it. He's being mean. But the motivation is always love. The motivation is always love because Jesus knows that these oppressors have to be stopped. Using the name of God to oppress people, to harm people has got to be stopped. Dehumanizing people in the name of religion has to be stopped. And so he confronted his oppressors and the oppressors of the people because this has to stop. But also, when you confront the oppressor, there's also the heart to turn them around as well. You might have heard the word repent, right, turn around. Jesus said that to religious leaders. So I always think it's funny when religious leaders tell you know, the world to repent when really it's Jesus who said to the religious leaders, uh, you gotta repent because you're missing the entire point. You're lifting up the word of God. Repent of lifting up the word of God and being so technical and driven by the letter of the law. Repent of that and start looking at the heart of God, which is human beings, right? Use the word of God as it was intended to show the love of God, the heart of God, and use that to guide you to treat people well to treat people in a loving way. Jesus was absolutely a rebel. And says to the religious leader, your approval means nothing. Jesus breaks the law again, and this one is hysterical to me. I've preached on that once or twice before. I'll be brief. Uh, Jesus and his disciples on a Saturday, again, a Sabbath day, uh, that's a big time set of laws in the Old Testament. They're walking on a, on a Saturday. Now, the Pharisees are also walking alongside Jesus. So it's kind of interesting, they're trying to catch him working on a Saturday and everybody's walking. Now the Pharisees had certain rules that are totally ridiculous. They carried stools, so they walked a certain number of steps, counted those steps and sat for a certain amount of time. T-t-t-t-t. Stood up again, walked a certain number of steps and sat a certain amount, of, and that's not work. But if you walk one more step, then you're allotted amount, now you're working. And that's worthy of death, that's how crazy these religious laws were. So they're walking, Jesus sent his disciples, the Pharisees are walking, and the disciples are hungry. And so they did what they're allowed to do. They picked some grain from the edges of uh, farmland, which you're perfectly allowed to do if you're traveling through farmland back in in the day. But what's the problem? They were harvesting. They were harvesting on a Saturday. The Pharisees went crazy, absolutely crazy. Matthew twelve two, but some Pharisees protested, look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. We got you, you're breaking the law. And Jesus says, listen, the heart of God is for our benefit. He gave us a day of rest so we wouldn't work ourselves to the bone seven days a week. It's for our benefit, and you've turned it into now something that is harmful for us. You're saying we can't eat on a Saturday because it's a day of rest. Well, if God gave us a day of rest for our benefit, and eating is for our benefit, Jesus says we're going to eat on a Saturday, and we're going to pick this grain, and we're going to prepare this food, and we're eating some tacos, right? And that's the way it's going to be. He He did that on purpose. He knows he's being watched, but he's a rebel, and he pushed against it, and he broke the Sabbath law. Verse seven, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus does two things here. Number one, God is a God of mercy. My disciples are hungry. They're gonna eat on a Saturday. Deal with it. And number two, I'm the boss of the Sabbath, which makes himself who? The Lord. The Lord. God Almighty, the Lord of the law, the Lord of the Sabbath, and they went nuts. Matthew 12, 14, then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. But Jesus knew what they were planning, so he left that area. That makes him a fugitive, which makes him an outlaw. He broke the law and is on the lamb. That's Jesus. That's who we follow, that's who we worship, a lawbreaker on the lamb, right? That's Jesus, absolutely a rebel by the definition of the law. He broke the religious law and remained at large. Reza Aslan, a uh, uh, scholar, uh, New Testament scholar, wrote a book called Zealot. Uh, he's not a Christian by religion, he's as- actually a Muslim by religion. He detailed just how rebellious Jesus was. It's a great read. Uh, it's not without his controversy, but check it out. He says this, with every leper cleansed, with every paral- paralytic healed, with every demon cast out, Jesus was not only challenging the priestly code, He was invalidating the very purpose of the religious priesthood. He replaced the costly flesh and blood sacrifice mandated by the temple with his free healings. His ministry was founded upon the destruction of the present order and the establishing of a new kingdom. Jesus was tearing apart religious culture. He had to free the world from religious oppression. And I'm of the opinion, which won't shock most of you, that that rebellion needs to continue The rebellion needs to continue because millions and millions, billions of people on this world are still religiously oppressed. They still believe that God is distant from them. They still believe that their failures or their sins separate them from God. They still believe that God is angry with them. They still believe that they deserve condemnation. They still believe that God demands their obedience and their uh, devotion and their religious adherence and proper doctrine. They still believe that if they do their part, somehow they will will earn God's favor, earn God's blessing, or earn eternal life. Anybody who believes any of that stuff is religiously oppressed. And Jesus came to set us free from that. He says, Listen, no, God is a heavenly Father, and He loves you unconditionally, just as you are where you are. He loves you. You need to know that. You need to know that your failures do not separate you from Him. He's forgiven you and Jesus came to prove that, to preach that, to practice that, and it cost him his life. It cost him his life. That's the depth to which God wants you to know his love for you. Believe that you're loved. Believe that you're forgiven. Believe that there's nothing between you and God and live in the pleasure of that, right? The rebellion needs to continue, are you in? Are you in? You wanna be a part of Jesus' rebellious gathering and to say, hey, listen, Wherever there's religious oppression, I can gently and kindly push against that. You may not be screaming in the temple courtyards like Jesus was at the religious leaders, but you can come alongside people who struggle and you can, and you can be the good news of Christ to them. If somebody's struggling emotionally and they're really dealing with a lot, sadness and depression or anxieties, they're really struggling maybe with, with loneliness or guilt or shame, whatever emotions grab them, and maybe part of that is feeling that they've failed and they maybe have failed God and they've had this religious upbringing, perhaps, that most people have, that have taught them that they're not good enough, they're never, ever good enough. You can come alongside them. And when the time is right and when it's appropriate to be able to say, hey, listen, I know what that's like, but what's helped me is to know that God is is like a perfect father and he never leaves me and he never judges me and he never condemns me and he knows what I've gone through. Jesus went through the same things, and he's with you, and he'll walk you through this. And by the way, I'll help walk you through this as well. You see what good comes out of that? We're not knocking people over the head with the the letter of, of, of the word. We're saying, listen, the capital W, Word of God is Jesus. And what Jesus does for this world and how Jesus cares for this world, I wanna be a part of that rebellious gathering, that rebellious gang, and to be the love of Christ in a suffering world. If somebody's going through a terrible circumstance, just something terrible happened in their life, it could be a financial crisis, a family crisis, they lost a loved one, a health crisis, whatever it is, for us to be able to say, hey, listen, I know you're going through a terrible thing, but God isn't causing this terrible thing. You might've been taught that when you were young, but God doesn't cause these terrible things. In fact, terrible things happened to Jesus as well. And he dealt with the emotional weight of that but what really is helpful is when I realize God doesn't cause these terrible things, but he walks with me through my struggles that he can empathize with, and by the way, I'm gonna walk you through those struggles as well. That's Jesus-style ministry that rebels against the religious culture and says we're gonna love each other and humanize each other. If someone is living in a way that would typically be judged by church, and you know what I'm talking about, you know the list, If somebody's living in a way that's typically judged by church, their impression is not only does the church judge me and reject me, but maybe God judges me and rejects me. Well, we can rebel against the religious culture that rejects people, and we can say, well, we're gonna get to know you, and we're gonna build a friendship, and we're gonna hear your story, and we're gonna learn from each other, and we're gonna welcome you. We're gonna welcome you into friendship, we're gonna welcome you into relationship, we're gonna welcome you into our church, and we're gonna walk this journey together that embraces you the way God has embraced me, that embraces all of us, and we're gonna walk a journey of love together. That's being a Jesus-following outlaw, because religious culture doesn't want anything to do with that. They wanna keep lifting up the tenets of their religion and the, quote, truth of their religion and the dogma of their religion and the moral codes of their religion. Jesus rebels against that to make it obsolete, to rise up an entire new community that looks at each other as people, human beings, dearly loved by God, and so we love and accept one another. Jesus broke the Hebrew law and was an outlaw. Jesus also broke the Roman law, and I'll be quick on this one. Jesus broke the Roman law. Keep in mind, the Romans were occupying uh, the area of uh, of Palestine where the Jews uh, lived. So the Romans were the governing authority the Jewish leaders could only accuse somebody of a crime, but they couldn't murder someone for that crime. They couldn't kill someone for that crime. They had to get the, the approval from the Romans. And so the religious leaders took Jesus to Pontius Pilate. This is that Friday, uh, the Thursday before, I'm sorry, Friday morning of his crucifixion. Here's what's said. The, the religious leaders began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. They totally distorted the teaching of Jesus about taxes. He actually said, give Caesar what is Caesar, pay your taxes. But they said no, he somehow taught not to pay your taxes. Totally lied about him. But then they said Jesus claimed to be a king. Well, they happened to get that one right. Jesus actually did claim to be a king. That was against the Roman law. You could not violate at all the sovereign authority of Caesar. And so when anybody claims to be a king, you're executed. Jesus claimed to be a king, technically. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Jesus says, I'm here to preach a new reality, a new paradigm, a new worldview, a new way of looking at life. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And then says, yes, I'm the king of that kingdom. He goes on to say in Matthew 6, 10, he's telling the disciples, pray. God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying, yes, there's a a kingdom, a kingdom that is not a political kingdom. But then he says to his disciples, pray that that kingdom comes to earth. So technically, Jesus is claiming to be the king over an earthly kingdom, even though it's invisible and it's about love and mercy and grace. Technically, he's breaking Roman law. Matthew 21, 5. This is just before he's coming into Jerusalem, the last week of his life. This is the Passover week before Easter. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you, he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. He flat out says, I'm a king, and I'm coming to the capital city of Jerusalem. Now he makes it very clear, I'm riding on a lowly donkey, not on a horse of war, so it's all good, we're not gonna fight with armies, but I am a king coming into the capital city of Jerusalem. And so in Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, Pilate has a question. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied in a very coy way, well, you said it. Is uh, So, yes or no? And Jesus in a, another version <clears throat> says, um, I'm a king, but I'm not a king of this world. And Pilate says, he's not a threat to me. He was riding in on a donkey, I wasn't afraid. He's a king of kind of a spiritual reality and he's serving people and he's with the poor. He's not a bother to me, Pilate says. But the crowd says, crucify him. And Pilate didn't wanna mess on his hands and condemned Jesus to death. Jesus was a rebel. Jesus was an outlaw. He rebelled against religious culture. He rebelled against political culture. Jesus was a political rebel, starting a movement so powerful that it would deem political powers essentially irrelevant. He started a new movement of love and grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and acceptance that would be so powerful, it would make the religious culture obsolete and the political culture obsolete. That's the vision of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven on earth would be a kingdom where love is the only law and we as humankind would thrive. Now, don't get me wrong. Government is critically important cornerstone of civilization. The political side of that makes me want to throw up in my mouth. The political nature of government is so disgusting, manipulating us to hate each other, to be enemies with each other, because you're an R and I'm a D, because you have a political opinion here and I have a political opinion here, and it is such an industry full of corruption, full of self-loving narcissists, full of people who will do almost anything for a vote, for a click, or for political donations. And a lot of us just go along with it. We go along with it and we accept it and we believe it and we start identifying ourselves like that and Jesus says, no, rebel against political culture because it is corrupt and because it tears people apart. Now listen, again, you have to have a government for a proper civilization and in a democracy you need politicians. And there are some politicians I, I admire. I'll have to pray about that one. It's an ugly business. And, and listen, some people are called to that and they do it and fantastic. I, it ain't gonna be me. Um, but let's get on board with, with Jesus. Jesus brought 11 political parties together and unified them around the cause of love and grace and mercy. 11 political parties. We have two. We can handle it. We can handle it. That political rebellion needs to continue. We have gotta keep showing up to project a vision of what society can become. Not ripping each other apart because of politics. Not in this corruption of pulling and manipulating whatever we can to get clicks, votes, and money. But we can say, let's make that irrelevant and let's love our neighbor. Let's get people together, human beings together, and let's solve problems, not maybe through politics, but maybe through good conversation. I have been in many environments where you get a, an R and a D together in a room, and they identify two totally political opposite perspectives, and you say, hey, let's talk about a subject. I don't care how dicey the subject is. It could be, it could be social wa- welfare, it could be uh, war, it could be abortion, whatever it is, bring two people together, let's have a reasoned adult dialogue, and let's imagine how we can solve some problems. In two minutes, you're in problem-solving mode. In two minutes. R's and D's can actually get together and solve some problems. But if that happens politically, the whole infrastructure falls apart, so it'll never happen. There's gotta be something rebellious that rises up. A movement of love that says, we have some problems, let's solve them together. Let's get reasonable people together with different opinions, different ideas, and let's figure out how to do this together. That's what Jesus imagined. The political rebellion needs to continue, are you in? are you in this should be a group of rebels never self-serving never about our way never about our power never ever violent but following jesus to rebel against the political culture rebel against the religious culture and say enough of that let's make those irrelevant following jesus that said to the religious leaders nothing you say matters if we can say to people who are peddling religion, maybe they're well-intended, maybe they just grew up in that, but what the religious culture says just doesn't matter. What the political culture says just doesn't matter. We follow Jesus the rebel, we follow Jesus the outlaw. And so we can come alongside people and we can bring healing and we can bring humanitarianism and we can solve problems like adults together. We can create peace in our communities. And, and, and I know there's people watching from all over the place but we can create peace in our town. Our town is fighting religious wars and political wars, and I'd like us to say, as the rebels, we're not listening to you. What you say doesn't matter. That's what Jesus said, that's what we're saying. It doesn't matter. We're gonna create a movement of love and service and humanitarianism and acceptance and grace, and let this be something that drives our community forward. Let that drive your family forward, your neighborhood forward. Let that drive our church community. Let that seep out in in your streets and in your work. A counterculture movement that follows Jesus together. Now, fortunately, we can do that if you would like by joining a team here at Rancho. This is a, a group of people that together says, we're gonna do some good. When the time is right, you can join a team that does some good to pour this grace and to pour this goodness into people of all ages here through Community Mission of Hope, through Rancho Damasitas, through the countless partners and and the ministries and the agencies that we birthed and that that we manage and that we partner with, you can do so much good. So maybe now is the time to say, you know what, I'm with Jesus. I'm in his little rebellious gang here and I'm gonna actually do something to meet the needs of others. When the time is right, and this could be the time, everybody's out there who would love to embrace you and welcome you onto the team uh, to advance the cause of Christ together. We're gonna end with a song that is, I think, one of the funnest songs we have ever done here, and it just is a perfect fit. Um, when I brought this concept to the team uh, a few weeks ago, that we're gonna talk about Jesus being a rebel, 14 nanoseconds, Evan had a song. It's like, we're doing this song. It's like, oh, well, can we hear it? No, nope, we're just doing it. Yeah. Uh, why did this song? Why did why do you have to do this song right now?
1: Okay, so yes, yeah, we're talking about Jesus being a rebel, and right. it brought me back to this one. Uh, I think I was like 19 years old, and there was a Carrie Job concert, right. um, and it was back when she was single. So all of us went.
0: Yes, um, of course, just just in case. Just maybe, like
1: hey, love your music. Um, no, but uh, this guy was opening up for her. Call his name was Warren Barfield. And Warren Barfield, uh, he kind of just said this thing about, hey, this is a song, I got an album coming out, and this is a song, he just played it on his acoustic, just him and an acoustic. And it was one of those songs that seemed so like, it was almost like angry, but it wasn't, it was like this, I'm excited to say this because it was just, I'm pushing against norms. I'm pushing against um, these things that we've accepted that are wrong, but that we still just go with the flow with. I'm pushing against this and saying, you're not gonna silence me on this, I'm speaking out against this. Yeah, I'm
0: speaking out now, I'm speaking right? right now. And so it's a good yeah. message for us as well to say, hey, maybe now's the time to really see where there's hurt in this world, where there's harm in this world, where there is oppression in this world, and say, now's the time for me to join this rebellious gathering that Jesus put together and do some good in the name of love and mercy. So uh, let's have a good time, Let's do it. all right? Let's all stand, we're gonna need some help. We're gonna need some like stadium clapping. You know, like that. You know, the stadium clapping. Absolutely. You got to yeah. do that. All right. So uh, we're gonna need your help. Join along. There you
1: go. I cut my teeth on the back of an old church pew. I learned wall walk in the ways of the light and truth. And I was told not to speak till I was spoken to. I heard it priest. What I should and I should not do And the choir 오- Oh, I try to be a good boy, but I ain't a boy no more. I seen some things that a man just can't ignore, and this world's gone. I'm standing for I kept my peace I can't hold my song anymore You can't find my silence You can't steal my voice You can't keep me quiet I will bring the Lord
0: I think you had a lot of fun. It's
1: a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's it sounded like a lot of fun.
0: What a perfect song, though. Like, you know, the, the time is now. The time is now to do some good in this world. The time is now to follow Jesus. The time is now to rebel against the religious cultures and political cultures that oppress people, dehumanize people. Let's humanize everyone, right? Let's do that in our families, in our workplaces, our neighborhoods. Let's do that on the street. Love the world around around you. And you're invited to be a part of a team, this kind of rebellious crew that Jesus put together that says, serve one another. And you can do that here through your church. Uh, you can join the team here at Rancho. What's on your heart? What is broken in this world that you want to fix? Rancho.tv slash serve, or you can go outside and talk to people there. So a lot of good ways to get connected. A lot of fun ways to get connected. And you know, the worship team is a really great place. It, I think It is. I, is I, awesome I, I tried out and I was rejected. Yeah, pretty yeah. immediately. <laughs> it's, it's like, nice. nope, <laughs> you're out. You guys, have a good time. Uh, have some fun outside. Be safe outside. There's a lot of equipment. Keep your kids off, off the tractor, starting them and making some damage. Unless they know how to use them. Oh, yeah, then get some work yeah, done. Yeah, then get, get it done. Look you know. forward to seeing you next week. <laughs> Thanks so much. See you much. guys. Thanks, guys.